Hey guys, welcome back to Kindled. It's your host, Haley. I hope you guys had a great weekend. Uh, We had a very big weekend in that we listed our house on Friday and we're under contract by Sunday night. So it has been a whirlwind of living out of our car in a sense um, with, you know, just toting bags around, going sleeping at my dad's house and just being a little bit homeless for the weekend. So I am relieved to have that process out of the way. And uh, let me tell you, this uh, this whole home selling thing with three kids is not for the faint of heart. That is, that is for sure. So um, I'm excited today to bring to you a conversation with Dr. Christina Crenshaw, who I first heard on Ali Stuckey's podcast when she shared her story of how she was canceled by a group of angry students at Baylor University University, which is a Christian university. So we are discussing the ideas of progressivism and how they are seeping into Christianity and what we can do to uh, fight that process and that trend with biblical truth as believers who are grounded in God's word. Before I get into that conversation, I want to remind you that every Friday I am airing uh, additional episodes that are called Firestarters inside my Patreon community. You can join us at patreon.com slash kindled podcast for $10 a month, which gets you those bonus episodes at least four a month inside Patreon. If you want to see more about what that's like and get a sample episode, I have three that you can listen to for free on my website at kindledpodcast.com. Also, uh, just a side note for anyone that follows along on Instagram, Um, My Instagram account has been heavily, heavily shadow banned, and I have recently, um, they've taken away the ability for you to tag me or mention me at Haley.Kindled. And so uh, what I've done is I've created a backup account that I will start to use more and more as that account is is basically on its way out, it looks looks like. And that is Kindled.Backup. So go follow kindled.backup to make sure you're not missing out anything that I'm sharing on Instagram. Um, as most likely for for most followers, that account has just been so heavily shadow banned and pushed down in the algorithm that you're probably not even seeing it pop up in your feed. Um, so that's just a little PSA. Uh, they also announced last week, as you may have heard, that a lot of uh, creators on Instagram would be losing access to the link sticker. Now, today was supposed to be the day I lost access. As of right now, I still am able to create links. We will see how long that lasts. I don't know if that is going to be taken away um, or, you know, or what, but right now I can add a link. Uh, We'll see. So as far as linking resources for you and episodes, again, kindle.backup is going to be the account where I will have to do that. So, you know, the censorship that so many conservative content creators are facing on social media is is honestly ridiculous for <laughs> living in America, but it is what it is, and I'm not going to stop speaking truth. And uh, as many accounts as it takes, I will still be there speaking truth until they completely kick me off. Um, so anyways, that's all I have in terms of announcements. So, uh, in light of that, let's hear from Dr. Crenshaw about how she was canceled by students at Baylor university. Here we go. All right. So today on Kindled, I am chatting with Dr. Christina Crenshaw. Christina, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah. Thank you for having me. 
So uh, we are going to talk about some of your story. And uh, for, for anyone who doesn't know, you were you had an attempted canceling at uh, the university where you are a lecturer, and that is Baylor University. Um, but before we get into your full story and discussion of what happened, I would love for you to introduce yourself and tell listeners a little bit about yourself, your life, what you do, that sort of thing. Yeah. So um, I have almost 20 years in education since I graduated from undergrad. I taught first as a high school English teacher. Then I went on to earn my PhD at Baylor University, started teaching at the university level. My husband and I actually moved out to California and I was teaching as an assistant professor out there at a university for a little while, but we missed Texas. We missed Waco, Texas specifically. We started a family and we came back about seven years ago. Um, And then professionally at that time, I went back to teaching at Baylor as a full-time lecturer and have really been there since we returned seven years in different leadership capacities, overseeing grants, and primarily teaching as a lecturer, teaching faith and writing, um, an anti-human trafficking course through the Honors College, and vocational leadership. So that is what I have been doing professionally, and we can talk in my story, but I have made a transition over the summer. Um, This is part of my story as what the Lord used to kind of highlight, like, hey, it's time to make this transition. So Mm -hmm. still in academia, but now at Dallas Theological Seminary, working with, I guess, a think tank center that they have on cultural engagement and leadership. Wow, that's really cool. Um, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I've been to Waco. It's such a fun little town to visit and I'm sure it's a great place to live and raise a family too. Um, and that, that plays into your story because as you were just telling me, it is a small town and although it has, uh, obviously a, a large Christian university, it's still got that small town vibe. And that is, you know, that is kind of that, that, that plays into your story, I think, um, in interesting ways. So, Why don't you just tell listeners who do not know what happened? Why don't you give us, you know, uh, the cliff notes version? You don't have to go into absolute full detail, but I do want to hear what happened to you as a lecturer at Baylor. Yeah. So I'll give kind of a a summarized version. One of the things I say when I meet people and they're like, your name sounds familiar, or they kind of know my story, but want to hear more. The the quick elevator speech is always like, just Google me. It's Haley, it's crazy, but Mm -hmm. this goes on for pages and pages. Most people coming to my support, which is sweet. um, But I never in a million years thought like, oh, this is what I will really be known for this stance that I took on the issue. So that is still kind of mind boggling. But Um, Back in late January, I um, was really watching some of the Title IX mandates that were coming out of Biden's executive orders. Uh, I mean, all of the executive orders, but specifically because I am in education and because I do anti-trafficking work, Mm -hmm. I was concerned about this expansion of Title IX. So in short, Title IX 1972 was enacted by the Department of Education to secure safe places for women in education. So females, women, and that is kindergarten up through higher ed. So for example, it would mean like, okay, you cannot have more male scholarships than you do female scholarships. Mm -hmm. That is not equitable. It would mean things like you can't allow male, uh, male basketball to practice on a better court and for longer than you do female basketball. Um, And there was actually a time during the NCAA championship, I believe where like, there's a post that went viral where they showed, did you see that the male's basketball workout facility 
And then it was showing on the road, the female, it's like the males had this amazing gym equipment and the females had like a little weight rack. And mm -hmm. so that's not equitable. And that is really what title nine was meant to enact. Well, Biden expanded it um, in January to uh, now cover biological males who identify as female. So they would consider themselves a transgender woman to compete in occupying female spaces. And I was concerned about that. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine, I mean, I say friend loosely, like kind of like Twitter colleagues, if you will, we mm -hmm. are in the same faith-based spaces, cultural engagement, raised awareness about this. And he said, I'm concerned about this and it's going to take bravery to speak out. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe I was subconsciously feeling emboldened by that last part, but I did speak out. I responded and I said, I'm concerned about this too. Don't those of us who don't struggle with gender dysphoria have a voice at the table? What if we don't want biological males in the bathroom, locker room with biological females? Else. You know, so it's one Twitter post, however many characters can even fit in that. A week goes by and, you know, people either like it or ignore it the way Twitter is meant to work. But um, after a week, I wake up one morning to a flood of emails, most of them from students either that I've taught or, you know, I don't even know, but they're sending their condolences on the Baylor student newspaper article that had been written about me. Well, I had not read it yet. So I like go and I, and I search it. And the title of the student paper article was Dr. Crenshaw is transphobic and needs to be fired. Wow. Wow. So from there, the School of Social Work students, and I know because they put their name on it at Baylor University, start a petition to get me fired. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, change.org, whatever. Mm -hmm. This sends off a chain reaction. I was then contacted from people all the way up to Fox News. I had presidents of other Christian universities reach out, former members of Trump cabinet reach out, former president of Baylor University, because I people realized this was really not about me. This was not about, you know, this mm -hmm. poor, sweet mom who loves the Lord, teaches at a Christian university, um, who sees work as mission. Yes, that garnered sympathy, but people realized, oh my goodness cancel culture and progressive narratives are on Christian campuses as well. Mm -hmm. And this is concerning. Mm -hmm. If we can't hold a Judeo-Christian worldview at a Judeo-Christian school, then what does this mean for the rest of us? And so I think that's why overwhelmingly I received all of this support. Um, and so that helped because in the midst of that, particularly the first couple of weeks up to a month after that, I received a lot of hate mail. Um, interestingly, no one hate mailed my email because I think they knew this is a permanent record of the Baylor University system. They would start fake accounts to troll me through Twitter, through Instagram, um, and I, I had to go private for, I think I went for like a, a solid two weeks um, just for my own health and, and mental sanity. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's kind of my story in a nutshell. We can unpack, you know, yeah. what does that mean for, for where we are now? Right. Well, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head because that is probably why your story uh, got so much traction, especially in the Christian community and world of, you know, what people talk about, what they're made aware about in the news. I, I feel like they're there isn't an official thing, but it, there is a subculture of Christian news, you know, like what's happening within the faith world. And, and it, it was like, oh my goodness, like this, I, I thought Baylor was a conservative Christian university. It's in Texas. I thought that would surely not happen there. And that, that surely people would at least understand and see how a professor at 
this university could have that view and it wouldn't be shocking. But apparently, you know, of course, like you said, these narratives and that agenda has infiltrated and has maybe just been brought in, not even infiltrated as much. Uh, obviously, it's infiltrated the hearts and minds of some, some of these students, but it's been just trafficked in and brought in by them. And um, and that is a, a bit of a wow moment for us, I think, to go, what is happening? And I, I, I didn't realize we were so far down that road already. Like I expected right. it from a school like KU where I graduated from, it was mm-hmm. there, you know, 15 years ago, but it, yeah. but of course it's a little different when you're talking about Baylor. Um, so what do you believe is, is kind of at the, the heart of that, that controversy? Like how, how did we get here and how did something so plainly based on a biblical ethic of morality, um, become unthinkable for students at, you know, Baylor university? Yeah, so kind of a a broader macro answer to that. I do want to say that finally the provost, who's like the vice president of the university, had to come out with a statement on my behalf because there was such a frenzy on campus. So then people wrote into the Baylor student newspaper in my defense. Then people wrote in arguing with that person. I mean, it was like two weeks of this on campus which was interesting because I wasn't even on campus. I was teaching a class from afar, which is probably the grace of God, because I don't know how I would have navigated, like shown my face on campus in the end this. Um, but I think Haley, what was a little bit disheartening for, uh, you know, we can talk because we're coming from the same faith perspective. It was a little disheartening even about her like whole free speech, because you're right. We would expect that from Kansas state. We would expect that from Texas A&M where I went from undergrad, any mm-hmm. state school should back a university professor for free speech for things that are biological. And we would expect our Christian universities to do that for things that are biblical. Right. But within this free speech statement, there really was no mention of our Christian mission other than, and I think this is the crux of the problem. And it gets to the question you asked, love our neighbor. So love our neighbor has become this place that we've like weaponized this verse to beat people into submission and accepting the cultural narrative. So when I was growing up, you know, I'm, I'm 40. And so I felt like for a lot of my childhood and teen years, the verse that was used to weaponize Christians was do not judge, do not judge. Like everything was like, don't judge, don't judge me, don't judge me. Even if only on a subconscious level, I think we've realized we're all judging, whether you are judging from a secular perspective or a Christian perspective, that it is impossible not to judge. And that actually scripture says to discern good fruit, you you have to judge to discern when that verse is used in scripture, particularly when it's used Old Testament Hebrew, that is actually a um, legal term, meaning do not pass down a legal sentence on someone. It's really more of a salvation verse rather than a discernment verse. What we have now though, Haley, unfortunately, is we have this culture that says, if you love somebody, you will wear your mask. If you love your some, somebody, mm-hmm. you will accept whatever, again, just sort of narrative that they're believing, no matter how antithetical it is to scripture, no matter how antithetical it is to even, you know, biology, because, right. you know, that, that is pretty fascinating too. Uh, one of the things I had said on a, on a podcast was this moment has made me realize what interesting bedfellows we have. We now have atheists who are coming out who are saying, you know, I actually agree with the Christians on this because biologically I cannot support that, um, that sex is fluid. 
right? Yeah. You know, like gender, there is room to discuss like, hey, how much of this is a social construct? But the reason it's a social construct is because it's based on evidence that should be unmovable within biological sex. So yeah, I think to answer your question, part of what is happening is we are weaponizing scripture and manipulating it to fit what supports culture rather than requiring culture to get in line with scripture. Mm. Yes, that's exactly it. You're so right that it did used to be, you know, um, the do not judge. And I still hear that. I still do hear that all the time, but I feel like people we've moved past that. So like postmodernism being the, uh, you know, or, or I guess starting with modernism being a, a, a rejection of the standard, mm-hmm. um, would have said, do not judge, but postmodernism saying there is no standard that they don't want to say, don't judge. They want to say, no, we're going to judge. And your standard is immoral and wrong. Like that's what they were doing to you. That's what those students were doing was saying your belief that women, should have protected spaces is transphobic and hateful and bigoted and rooted in, you know, this, this, this evil Bible that you claim to follow and, and, you know, idolize, they weren't saying, you know, do not judge her because nobody can judge anyone. They were literally taking a moral stance and of righteousness over you and asserting that over you and saying, no, you're wrong. And, and you need to fall in line with our standard. Mm-hmm. And so there's a, there's a really big difference there between everyone saying just your truth and my truth versus right. no, there, there is a, there is a standard and you're hateful based yeah. on my definition of what love is. You know, I want to let you know about our first sponsor of today. And that is cornerstone curriculum. This is one that I am so excited to share with you because it has a very special place in my heart. I get asked all the time by listeners of this show and people on Instagram, Where did you learn to think this way? I want to make sure my kids can think critically about the issues you talk about on this show. The answer, aside from the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word of God, is Cornerstone Curriculum. As a high schooler, I was fortunate enough to get to complete their complete high school curriculum, Worldviews of the Western World. This holistic approach to education teaches a biblical worldview and the Bible's answers to today's biggest cultural issues. It teaches young people critical thinking and philosophy. It trains and makes disciples and leaders for the next generation. In this curriculum, students begin an integrated study of literature, philosophy, government, economics, history, geography, science, and art, showing how the ideas of each era shaped society holistically. This approach is far superior to a traditional school setting where subjects are separated into individual classes. Students who complete this program will be equipped to reason and think critically on any subject, and they will be prepared to stand firm for Christ in the 21st century. I cannot wait for the day my girls are old enough to start this curriculum. I cannot recommend it enough, and I would urge you to check out their website, cornerstonecurriculum.com, and use the code KINDLED for 5% off anything you order from their site. Whether your kids are in elementary or even in the middle of high school, Cornerstone Curriculum has resources to help you equip them today. Uh, So definitely check out their website, cornerstonecurriculum.com. Use KINDLED for 5% off. Yeah. So I think too, Haley, one of the things that's, that's interesting to note, cause you brought up modernism and then postmodernism within modernism, people typically rejected the church because they couldn't either get behind the, you know, kind of 
the Bible standard of morality, or they couldn't accept the supernatural. You know, like modernism was really like birthed out of enlightenment. And it's like this whole idea. It's like, I can't accept that. I can't accept the virgin birth. I can't accept that there's an afterlife. I can't accept sort of these like theological um, things that cannot be scientifically proven, right? Because unless that modernism comes from. With postmodernism, you're, you're right. It's like there is no abject truth anymore. So we, it, it's not even about like, I can't get behind the supernatural. It's I can't get behind authority. That's yes. what we're really bucking here as we're bucking authority. And it, and it's really, it is interesting because I've had to like take this little bit of a road of humility, but I've had so many students who want to come out and like educate me. And I'm like, Mm. you're 20 that Mm. does not invalidate your voice and your experience but it should help you rightly keep in perspective that I have two decades on you of doing love well of doing justice well of following Jesus well so for you to try to just dismiss that because it doesn't resonate with your version of truth is really it's it's immature and again it's like pretty antithetical to what scripture asks us to do mm-hmm. um one of the things that i think concerns me most about what happened to me Haley, is i can take the slander or the upset from people outside of the church people are like i'm rejecting your truth i'm i'm you know, we have this whole movement now of people who consider themselves none. Like I'm not atheist. Mm-hmm. I'm not Christian. I'm not Muslim. I'm none. I'm none of these. They right. refuse to check the box. I could take criticism there because I could say you're, you're lost. You're broken. You're confused. You don't know. Right. Yeah. Or at least that's what I would say within circles of trust. What is concerning to me about what happened to me and what I'm seeing within like more progressive church movements and what I saw on Baylor campus is that this is coming from inside the church. These are people who are actually saying, particularly younger, like 30 and younger, oh, but I understand scripture better than you. I get this more than you. I'm following the real Jesus. Mm -hmm. You're lost. You're like, but I'm basing this on orthodoxy at 2000 years of church history, Mm -hmm. but suddenly they're (laughs) enlightened to what is actually true and they're dismissing everything that you know our church fathers have actually said to yeah. be true so it's coming from inside the church which is new and probably unique to postmodernism. we did not have this much criticism from inside the church with other historical biblical movements in time yeah you're right and there yeah there's a level of hubris and pride that i believe characterizes that younger generation um you know, especially the one coming up behind me, cause I, I am a millennial I'm 34, but, and I would say it probably starts with millennials and, but it especially is infecting the ones right behind me because, um, you know, I, I even saw some of that just thinking back to my adolescence when I was in my twenties, I got my first job. I remember thinking some of the things you just described about the workforce and thinking it was so messed up that, you know, I came out of school with the newest cutting edge knowledge of, and my career path was web design at the time. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I know, I know things you don't know. Cause I just got out of school and I have the newest, you know, information about how to do this thing. And yet you're making four times what I am. And, mm-hmm. and you're just in this position because of your tenure and your, the time you've put into it. And, and I had very little like patience for that. I remember being like, why should it matter how long someone is in a role? If someone, 
can do the job better than them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so technically I, I understand that, that thinking in the, in, in the sense of just having the technical knowledge, right? Like mm-hmm. a, a computer programmer is the same one with five years and 10 years. You, you could say, if you can do the job, well, program this software or whatever, then great. Like you're on par and, and maybe you do need to be paid the same amount as that guy with more time, except for that. It ignores, it ignores the immaturity of that position is that it, it ignores the maturity that is gained and the wisdom that is gained with years of experience that doesn't, that might not actually manifest in just technical knowledge, but in, uh, that, that those soft, um, what is the soft characteristics soft or skills, skills, soft yeah. skills that, yeah. that, that 20 year old or that 21 year old doesn't have, they don't see that right. it's actually way more than just performing the job. It's about people. It's about, uh, you know, authority, perception, leadership, all these other things that I think young people sort of don't yet get. And, and I, in my immaturity at the time, you know, 12 years ago, remember thinking that, remember thinking that's ridiculous. I don't, I don't like that, you know, and, and fighting and feeling like in my soul, I kind of wanted to fight against that. Um, however, now I get it, (laughs) you know, now I get like, and and, you know, that's, that's a, that's a a bit of a tangent, but I, I think that there's a lot there that, um, is concerning that those characteristics, some of those beliefs, some of those embedded ideas are allowing, you know, allowing these false, uh, lies really to penetrate into the church and then be not just sniffed out and, you know, brought to light. Cause there's always been false teachings in the church. There's always been heretical things that kind of come in and then sure. you have people reform and, you know, and reveal those things as, as lies or as antithetical to what God's word says. But there is a spirit and an air of hubris and pride that is allowing a lot of these things to continue on. Yeah. Um, and, and not get snuffed out and not, not be brought to light. Yeah. And you know, Haley, one of the things I've said to people like human nature doesn't change. Like there really is nothing new under the sun, but one of the things that I think is fascinating to note, this is probably just me wearing my academic hat because I'm like, we need more studies on this, but it is fascinating to note. This is the first time in human history that you can in real time post your opinions and that they can go viral in real time and that everyone has a voice at the table. No other time in human history has that happened, Mm -hmm. right? So human nature, like the the cultural issues we're studying or we're, we're wrestling with, if you study church history, there was a cultural issue there too. Like the early church was having to ask itself, how much of Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, do we integrate into our curriculum into our church Mm -hmm. teachings because they don't really align with scripture, but there's wisdom there. And we're asking ourselves that same question and K through 12 education and higher education right now, you know, Mm -hmm. so same song, different verse. But what is unique about this cultural moment is that we all have a voice at a table. We all can go viral at any minute. We can all be canceled at any minute. And I don't think we have a historical precedence for that. You know, like to use the overused phrase, like these are unprecedented times in that sense as well. So that is where I'm like, we, we do need probably some more church attention to that. You know, how we, we rightly use our words, honor our words, um, that sort of thing. Um, in the public square, because not everybody has had a voice, you know, like we do now. Right. Yeah. That's really true. Um, what kind of 
fallout, I mean, if, if you're comfortable sharing to, to whatever degree you are, what kind of fallout professionally did you experience from this? Because we're, we're talking about the students and understanding that, you know, their lack of maturity and understanding maybe of even basic Christian doctrine would have enabled them, you know, they were maybe at Baylor for, for the name or for sport or for their career path, but not for the spiritual aspect of, uh, of a biblical worldview. Yeah. What kind of fallout though professionally did you experience? And did you see from your peers who maybe were teaching there or or other? Yeah. So I'll talk kind of like, you know, broad about that. Yeah. I would say short answer to that and then I'll unpack it. Thankfully, there wasn't really a professional fallout, so to speak. And That's here's good. what I mean by that. I don't know if that would have been true at a state school. You know, if I was at Kansas State, Texas A&M, UT, you know, some of the big, big 12, um, whatever conference A&M is even yeah. anymore. I don't know. But some of the bigger state schools, I don't know if I would have been able to say that. So I think part of the saving grace is that I am in Christian circles and that uh, influential people within Christian circles put the pressure on Baylor. Baylor was silent for a solid week. And I know just from being at a university setting that legal counsel swarmed in to, 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 to think tank through this. And again, coming back to that small town, you know, like I want to honor people, but these are my friends in the room having conversations about me. So I think that that helped with sort of like social equity and that sort of thing. Like people are like, but we know her, this isn't just a name in the student Mm -hmm. paper. I was to them, to these 20 year olds who are writing an article about me. In fact, they could only find one of my former students. And even then she didn't have anything really negative to say other than she was on our LGBTQ safe list and we're sad to see her go. Right. You know, so it's like they didn't have anything on me to really persecute me. Students, mostly they came to my support. So, you know, we had this one group starting a petition to get me fired. And then we had this other much, much larger group saying we're starting a petition to keep her on campus. And so they had a prayer chain going. I think a group chat of over 100 people or 500 people in it, however many put on a group chat. Mm -hmm. So students were kind of coming to my defense, some very publicly, some behind the scenes. And that was sweet. I even had like students I'd never taught who were like making memes in my support. I guess that is like the 20 year old way of supporting somebody. Now Uh you like support a meme. Yeah. Um, So that was really sweet. Colleagues by and large came to my support as well. I for sure did not have a lot of colleagues coming out against me. Even the ones who were like, I support LGBTQ, however, which is great. That was never even my issue. Like, I'm like, that is not even my soapbox. It's a whole different conversation than whether or not we are going to allow males in female spaces. Different conversation, right? Um, But I did have some who I was really surprised who were like, I, you know, am on support side of LGBTQ. Um, And I'm like, okay, that's great. But even then, most colleagues could stand behind free speech. Like you don't get to cancel someone because of their their free speech. So that was encouraging. Even the people who weren't on my same page philosophically or theologically would at least get on the same page with like, Hey, this is America free speech. You don't get to take someone down because you disagree with their biologically and biblically sound opinion. Right. So, so that, That's that good. was nice. I will say Haley though, I spent that spring semester because it's just happened eight months ago, praying and seeking the Lord and finally came to a place where I said, you know, I, I love Baylor. I honor it. When people ask me, should I still send my kids to Baylor? Like, Hey, if, if finances aren't an issue, because it's a very expensive school, finances are an issue. 
Absolutely. I don't know very many universities who are doing it better, which is disheartening, honestly. Mm-hmm. If finances are an issue, I recommend parents consider a state school because I think you can find the environment that you'll experience at Baylor on a state school, quite honestly. Like you you went to Kansas State, I went to Texas A&M, you can find the Christian enclaves at a, at a state school. Um, but I personally didn't feel I could be as evangelical or as conservative as I feel led to be mm-hmm. at that university, which is disheartening. Part of that might be the, the sphere of influence I'm in in the academy, because a lot of my friends who are in the business school, who are in the honors college, seem to be thriving in a conservative evangelical perspective. So I think a lot of that would speak to like, where on a university campus are you going to major? Are you going to work that kind of thing? Because there's different ideologies and philosophies running those departments. Mm -hmm. Um, Business in general tends to lend itself more to conservative and at a Christian school evangelical perspective than say the school of social work. I want to tell you about one of the sponsors of today's episode, and that is Conviction Co. These are the cutest statement t-shirts with conservative messages you've ever seen. You for sure have to go browse their Instagram, look at some of their latest styles. You'll see exactly what I mean. They are cute. You could wear them and dress them up with jeans or dress them down with leggings. You need one. Visit their shop at convictionco.etsy.com to purchase their products or follow along on Instagram at convictionco to see their newest items, promos, and giveaways. And listeners can use the code KINDLED for 10% off all of their apparel purchases. Guys, that's a great deal. 10% off with the code KINDLED. Man, well, so, and what have you moved, moved into now? You, you want to talk a little bit about that if you if you would like to? Yeah, so I knew that this was going to be like a risky move professionally because you'd ask, how's this affect me professionally? But Haley, I counted the costs probably like, yeah, eight, nine years ago, I stepped off a tenure track. Tenure track positions are really difficult to come by. I was in a tenure track position, mm-hmm. assistant professor, and I had two kids in 20 months. And the maternity leave out in California, I know California of all places, you'd think it'd be great. It was really terrible at this university. So I just had to pray and say, okay, I feel called. This is not a, you know, clarion call. And everybody's like, I felt called to step off and be a mother first and foremost. Had a husband that was traveling all the time. I had these two kids under two that I just did not feel at peace about putting in full-time childcare while I was like navigating, you know, San Diego, LA traffic, trying to get to my university. So I counted the cost then and I knew, okay, I could still be faculty. I can still teach full-time as a lecturer at a university. I just probably won't ever be tenure track. And I think that small step of obedience, no, that was a big step of obedience to the Lord allowed me to make this small step of obedience because once you've already laid down the big thing, then those smaller steps are so much easier to me. Mm-hmm. So I knew that the Lord was going to be sovereign. He was going to ordain my steps, but it was, I'll be honest. I do still grieve like the fall semester started. And this is my first fall semester in like almost 20 years where I'm, I didn't go back into the classroom. So I do still grieve that, but what I'm doing now is exciting. Again, the Lord has been really gracious to provide an opportunity. I'm at Dallas Theological Seminary in their Hendricks Center, and their Hendricks Center does cultural engagement and leadership. So what that really means is we're looking at like, hey, how do we integrate our faith in the workplace? Hey, how do we address CRT from a Christian perspective? It's clearly an issue tearing churches apart. We can't ignore it. So what does biblical racial reconciliation look like? So we've had conversations with, you know, like 
Tony Evans for bringing him to do chapels and to do talks. Um, one of the things we're doing right now is we are listening to the Mars Hill podcast, which I have like real mixed feelings about, and mm-hmm. then reading Jesus and John Wayne, because again, it's not that we necessarily agree with everything in there, but we are trying as a seminary to understand why are there such a large swath of angry progressive Christians? Mm-hmm. What do they have to say? Where is it valid? And then where do we need to bring them back into like, what is actually biblical and not cultural. So it's exciting in that sense, Haley, because I, you know, every day I wake up and I'm like, okay, I get to really think about cultural issues from a biblical perspective and then insert my opinion. And that gets to, you know, be integrated into the seminary and then hopefully into Christendom from there. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, that is, that's an important question for sure. Like you said, uh, or just asked why, why are there so many angry progressive Christians? Um, I'm curious to hear, you know, if you would be willing to answer that question, just your own personal take, why, why now? Cause that's, we, we were talking about, you know, the progressive agenda and narrative that's infiltrating our young people and then our colleges and then churches and all of these things. But why now? Like, why is that happening right now? Why is it, you know, why was it not 20 years ago? It was more just like them leaving the church. Now yeah. it's like, no, we want to bring that into the church. You know, why, why do you think that is happening now? Or do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah. Or even worse than leaving the church or even trying to bring it into the church. Some of them want to like burn it down. You know what I mean? Like metaphorically speaking, they're, they're out, they have a vendetta against the church. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'll talk, I personally have not, I don't have church hurt wounds. I have tried really hard to listen and to empathize and Haley, there are grievous stories out there. I mean, sexual abuse scandals, I mean, real legitimate church hurt, Mm -hmm. but then there's a large group of people who just did not want to be told, no, we can't support your, your homosexual lifestyle. I'm sorry. We just can't Mm -hmm. theologically combine that even politically. I think there's an argument to be made for civil unions, but theologically, like we just can't support that. And that seems offensive to them. Or you have people who, you know, just have problem with authority. So I think that there's a spectrum of like people who have legitimately been hurt by the church and there hasn't been reconciliation. And then there are people who just have grievances against the, the church yeah. that they've actually made, you know, their idol. They've chosen yeah. to be victimized mm-hmm. by this and they want to stay in that victimization. So there's that there, there's part of that. We have a culture that honors victimhood probably more than we should. And I say that with great compassion because I have worked with anti-trafficking victims. I have seen real hurt, real trauma, but because I have that perspective, I have also seen victims who have become survivors. And so I know that there is a place within the body of Christ that you can go from being victimized to actually being redeemed and restored and, and be a survivor. And if that can be true for human trafficking victims, some of whom were sold by their own parents, then surely there is place for grace and forgiveness within the church. So mm-hmm. I don't have a great deal of... Um, Patience. I, I mean, I wouldn't say empathy or compassion because I am empathetic and compassionate. But I don't have a lot of patience for people who want to sit in their trauma and not ever get healed. But I think part of it is we have a culture that lends itself to victimhood. Um, I think that there is a place for accountability. I mean, Haley, it, I'm not going to say it, it shook my faith or it rocked me, but it grieved my spirit to learn about Ravi Zachariah. 
you know, this great apologetics leader who was very formative with my faith and he's living this duplicit life behind the scenes. And it was in that moment that I, you know, I really did pray about this. I was like, Hey, Lord, let me glean from him all of the great things that he has taught, but separate that from his personhood, because it's what we have to do. There has to be a place we, we, we wish, and, and we should be rightly aligned. We need to be aligned. We need to be integrated who we are in the public squares, who we are in our private lives. Um, and it does impact negatively people's faith when we see that there's a dichotomy there, just like Robbie Zachariah. But if I woke up tomorrow and I learned all of these terrible things about C.S. Lewis, it would not change a word of mere Christianity. It wouldn't change, you know, any truth about that. One of my favorite authors is St. Saint, Saint Augustine and mm-hmm. Confessions. I love that book. If you read that, it is, it is problematic. It's riddled with issues. I mean, Guy was carrying around a concubine for most of his ministry that he wouldn't marry. And weird as it is to me, his, his mother, Monica, who was revered within particularly the Catholic faith allowed it. I mean, she was a believer and she's just palling around all, you know, through Mm -hmm. North Africa and, 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 you know, Roman empire with this concubine. And, and so that it's so deeply problematic because he, has this underage concubine, then he lets her go, has a child with her, lets her go, is betrothed to a woman half his age, and then felt like the Lord said not to marry her, which again, cultural, you know, yeah. nuances of that. I don't know. My point is this, it doesn't change a word of confessions. You know, what, what the mm-hmm. Lord ordained him to write through that is still a good work. Right. So that's probably a long way of saying, I think like, why now part of it is culture has lent itself to victimhood. We don't allow grace anymore for, um, you know, disagreement. Ravi Zechariah, that, that was a huge, you know, fall, but he's still covered by grace, right? You know, like there's still room for grace there. You can disagree with my tweet, but that doesn't mean that you get to like take somebody down for their infraction. If you, you know, if you even right. consider that. And like you said, we, that do not judge verse is about making a legal judgment about condemning someone. So Mm -hmm. while we can look at the evidence of what came out of that investigation and go there, you know, all we saw when he was alive was, was good fruit, ripe fruit, healthy fruit, but apparently there was fruit rotting under the pile of leaves and we didn't know it was there. And so we can say, look, that is not fruit of a life or a heart that's been changed by Jesus. Like that is, it does not come from that, but we can't condemn in the sense that we say, I know for sure he either was or was not a believer. We, right. we just, we just can't, we, we don't know. Like, I know people have opinions. I know some Christians would disagree with me and say, well, no, I can categorically say he wasn't a Christian because a Christian could never do that. But I'm like, but you can't because you're, we actually don't know the heart. And, um, and I understand what they're saying and I get it, but you know, but we can't ultimately condemn. And, um, so yeah, anyways, I'm not sure where I, well, no, I'm tracking with you. And I think what, one of the conversations I had just yesterday within my DTS circle was on repulsive grace, which I'd never heard that term. Um, but it's basically the idea that some we, uh, in our humanity, feel like some people are so fallen that we don't think that they deserve the grace that we do. Right. And so it's like, it's repulsive to me to think of like Hitler being in heaven. There's no way he possibly converted. I mean, just for the record, he's 
probably not there. Yeah. Right. But right. the idea, I'm like, I like you put them in a separate room. I don't want them in heaven with me. Right. right. Because like that's repulsive to us, but it's also the beauty of grace. And so what Robbie Zechariah did is repulsive, but it is not beyond God's ability to extend grace. Right. So we don't know, we won't know the side of heaven. Um, but yeah, I too saw on like Twitter, people were like, I'm burning my Robbie Zechariah books. I'm throwing it away. And I thought, mm-hmm. Well, if it was true yesterday, then it's probably true today. And then back to myself, if I was on your LGBTQ safe list on Monday, then on Tuesday, when the article came out, I'm probably still safe. Maybe you disagree with my stance on this. Maybe I disagree with your stance, but that does not negate all of the work that I have done for the kingdom, all of the great things that I have done that, that prove that, you know, whatever safe even means these days that I am that person. So yeah, yeah. We've, just, we've become such a contentious culture and that has certainly had shockwaves run through mm-hmm. the church as well. I want to let you know about our next sponsor. And that is my friend, Sue, who is passionate about helping women feel better from the inside out. By now, I'm pretty sure we've all heard that gut health is central to our overall health. If you're looking for a way to improve your gut health, decrease inflammation, and improve your blood sugar balance, look no further. Plexus products do just that by helping your body to get rid of the bad stuff and pave the way to better digestive health. Their products are non-GMO, 100% vegetarian, and many are gluten-free. Most importantly, the products work. My friend Sue is offering Kindled listeners 10% off welcome pack orders plus a free Plexus shaker bottle with a purchase of $50 or more. Find her on Instagram at seven in the woods. That's number seven in the woods on Instagram to start feeling better from the inside out today. Yeah. And, and to that point, you know, I guess it, it is one thing to talk about Robbie because he's not with us anymore, but it's a different thing to talk about someone who is still alive and still teaching and still creating new content and material. If you were to find out that you know, let's say he was still here and he was still teaching and he was still creating, you know, ministry, whatever I I would have to say, I, I can't follow you anymore. I can't, I'm not going to learn from you. I'm not, I, I, I'm not going to submit myself to that authority and to that, um, to someone who would be capable, you know, now that I know it's like, uh, that would not be wise. It would not be wisdom to, to follow someone who, had, uh, you know, had, had revealed that that came out about their lives. And I think it's the same way when we see progressive Christians come out and, um, veer away from Orthodox Christian doctrine and they start to say, Hey, you know, guys, actually, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna affirm LGBTQ and actually, you know, screw the church. I, I, I don't think we should do that anymore. I hate it. And, you know, then it's like, okay, we can't keep going we would no longer say, Oh, but let me just go ahead and, you know, chew the meat, spit out the bones from everything you say, Jen Hatmaker or whoever. No, yeah. at some point it's unwise actually to continue to chew that meat because it's poison meat. So find yeah. better meat, you know? Yeah. So that's yeah. A, and that's a discernment question, I think. Yeah. And I agree with you. I think that that is a discernment question because it's, it's so hard. You know, I think that we could say that with everybody and, you know, I always bring it back to myself and I, People ask, like, is there more to the story? And I'm like, no, what you see really is the story. It's not like I was living some duplicit double life behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. It's not like this was my last straw at Baylor. I mean, part of, I think, why this 
did end up going so well for me is because I had a squeaky clean record because I had won awards because I, you know, that kind of thing. And so I do think we have to like put a situation within context. And so I would agree with you if Ravi Zechariah were still alive, I would expect full repentance or I can no longer follow this person, you know, like full transparency, full repentance. Um, and then, you know, that's, that's a whole different conversation than somebody who is choosing to choosing sin, you know, um, and again, that can be real nuanced out because some things are just deception and some Mm -hmm. things are just outright sin. So we're choosing to be deceived or choosing sin. Um, I can't really follow that. Yeah. 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 So I would agree with you on that. Yeah. Um, so what would be, you know, your encouragement as, as you have lived the result of progressive Christianity infiltrating, you know, um, what you had previously thought was a very conservative safe space, if you want to call it that, um, what's your encouragement to people who are out there in their workplaces or even in their churches, um, as they might be seeing those, those similar, um, you know, kind of notes starting to come into those places, what, what would be your encouragement? Cause I, I know that you ultimately decided and, and was, were, you were led out of that environment for other reasons as well. But, um, what do you, what do you tell people about that today? Yeah. So I think my biggest thing, I would say like, you know, square one is you have got to have a strong, like-minded community. Um, the best place to find that is within your church. And if you're not able to find that in your church, or you feel like your church is, you know, heretical or it's not orthodox, then you probably need to look at finding another church, right? right? So, but your church body is a place where you go to get built up. And I imagine you've had conversations on your show about like the benefits and the perils of a seeker friendly church, right? Mm -hmm. I think that we have become so unfortunately seeker friendly that we are not really feeding the body. Mm -hmm. Well, we're not feeding them robust worldview teachings. And that's, you know, on us, we need to get back to the basics, honestly, with that. But so I would say step number one, make sure that you have a strong, secure body of Christ that you're you're walking with. You're not an island. You cannot do this on your own. Um, The second one, and like that, is to make sure you listen to the voices that you're listening to. I follow several accounts that I do not agree with because I want to hear what they're saying, but I'm sure the ratio to disagree and agree has got to be like one to 10 because I want most of the voices who are filling my head to be ones that I know are rooted in scripture and rooted in truth and her leading me closer to the feet of Jesus and not closer to affirming cultural narratives that probably aren't even true. Right. Right. So, you know, like the whole self-love, that kind of stuff, I'm like, I can only handle so much of, you know, that kind of narrative. So, um, listen to voices that are dissenting because you need to know what's out there. And I want to be sympathetic and I want to, you know, empathize with those voices, but not at the cost of my own walk with the Lord. And then the third thing, um, is that culture still needs you. We can't just create these enclaves. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Rod Dreher and the Benedict option. Okay. I don't disagree with what he's saying. I just don't know how practical that is to complete, to create a Christian enclave in every facet of life, which is sort of one of the suggestions of the Benedict option. Because even within that enclave, like as we're seeing within the church or within Baylor university, there's dissenting opinion, right? Mm-hmm. So we, the, the, the world still needs us to be salt and light. So, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. And, and if we try, you know, like you said, even if we do create our little perfect Christian bubble, we're never going to agree a hundred percent with anyone in it. And it is a matter of, I think, majoring on the majors, minoring on minors and, yeah. and knowing what, mm-hmm. having the wisdom to know the difference, because, um, some of these, the things that we are hearing today are minor issues within the church are really not minor issues. They're actually really, really big and, and foundational, and they will result in ultimately a, a church going one way or another, you know? And, and so I think that that requires a lot of discernment. It requires the help of the Holy spirit for sure. Um, but I agree that we do need to still be salt and light and always bringing truth to bear on the public square and not just like hoarding that for ourselves. Yeah. And we have to, and, and part of the importance of having a solid church community is people's very people's definitions of truth are going to vary. Okay. I mean, like scripture, I think it's pretty clear, particularly on the, um, salvation issues. You know, there are a lot of secondary issues that, you know, scripture is, you know, it's, you got to look at the whole scripture. Like what does scripture speak to, to inform this issue? Um, for example, like, you know, scripture is pretty silent on drugs, but we know that we're supposed to honor our body because it's a temple. So I think there's a lot of scriptures that speak to the question at hand. And then there are things where it's like, God created us male and female, and he said it was good. So he's pretty clear there. Um, But if we're going to have the same definition of truth, then we're going to need to get that from a strong church community, because the, the world's definitions of what is truth, your truth, my truth is going to vary. And that's where I think it gets really muddy and murky and confusing. So you've got to go back to that touchstone of, you know, what does my church body teach me about this so that I can go be salt and light to a world that, um, you know, is otherwise very confused. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Man. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of this. And I think that, um, I, I know your story is not unique, but I am thankful that you've been really willing to be vocal and tell it and just kind of, you know, sound the alarm in some ways about what we're seeing and, and hopefully even, with parents who are sending their kids off to college, just for them to be more aware of some of those things their kids are going to be hearing, even in conservative places they might've thought would be a safe haven away from the lies of the, you know, the KUs or the MUs of the world. It's like, look, it's everywhere. You've, you've got to be equipped and your kids need to know the truth. Um, and they need to be grounded in the word of God. So do that while you can't do that, do that yeah. while, while the day is young, you know, while, while we have time to do that. Um, and don't, and and don't ultimately, and this is something that's probably just always been true, but I think 20 years ago, people kind of saw it as like the, the private school, whether that be elementary high school or secondary level was, was just this, like you said, Christian enclave away from the evils of the world. And, and what we're seeing is that Satan knows no bounds of his lies, no, no bounds of where they will be willing to go. And in fact, if we really understand the Bible, we, we would actually realize that his target is Christians. You know, it's like C.S. Lewis's book, um, uh, you know, the one about the, the demons, what, one of my, uh, uh screw letter, tape letters, screw tape letters screw tape like, letter. yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're not messing with the people who are already blind to their schemes. They are targeting and attacking and seeking to, um, tear down and, uh, distract and distort truth for those who are their enemies. So, I mean, yes, of course there's oppression and and there's those types of things for anyone or everyone, but I mean, let's just be real that obviously 
the garden of Eden was a perfect place and a lie infiltrated that. Mm-hmm. And so it, the same can happen for our Christian schools, um, which my kids are at Christian school or our Christian universities or anywhere else. So it's just good to be on guard and aware and, um, and really be seeking to build up those biblical worldviews like you talked about and like, you're not helping people do through the seminary. So yeah. Yeah. And I would say, I don't know how many parents you have, you know, probably most a of the people yeah. who are listening. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, little kids, um, I don't know how many college kids, parents of college kids, but either way, yes, while they are young, make sure that you are helping them build a robust Christian worldview. I am trying to teach my kids to seek God in all things and through all things. Um, and that's part of why we've chosen a Christian school, but I know that even that is, is it's fallible, you know, like there are yeah. things that that I don't agree with that my kids' school is teaching, um, but a, a solid Christian worldview so that when they ca- when they encounter a lie, they're able to combat that with truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the books that has helped me the most, it's, it's actually not a Christian book, but it helped me understand what the heck is going on right now with like young people and cancel culture is coddling of the American mind. Mm-hmm. That book was reckoned to me so many times during this season. Um, and it's an academic approach, again, by people who I think actually makes argument even more powerful, who are classically liberal, um, you know, kind of academically liberal, but not necessarily politically. And they're trying to understand what is going on. Why do we allow kids to cancel? Uh, Why do they want to cancel? And a lot of that goes back to we've coddled them from childhood. So I think it's opened my eyes as a parent to like allow my kid to encounter hard things. Cause if they don't encounter hard things, when they do encounter it, they just want to cancel it versus yeah. talk through it, work through it, which is sort of the premise of the book. Yeah. I have heard that recommended so many times too. And I've, I really need to put that on my fall reading list. Cause it yeah. sounds, it sounds incredible. Um, where can people find you online, connect with you and just learn more about what you're up to? Yeah. So I guess I'm mostly on Twitter online or sorry, on Instagram. I'm actually not on Twitter all that much, which is real funny. I only check in like once a week. Um, and now after all this happened, I'm like, I check in like once a month. Um, it's just sort of a hostile place. I like zero out of five stars. Don't recommend Twitter. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm on Instagram quite a bit. That's a great place to follow me. I have a website. There's not much you can interact with, but if you want to find out more about me, it's pretty, um, inclusive, all inclusive in that sense. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for being here and continue to speak the truth. Um, and I know that this will be encouraging for people and just informative and in what's going on in, you know, college campuses around the nation. So thank you. Ah, thank you for having me. Thank you guys so much for listening. As a reminder, you can leave a rating and review for Kindled in the Apple podcast app. And I would so appreciate if you do, it just helps the algorithm share this show with other women who need to hear the truth applied to uh, our culture today with a biblical worldview. Uh, I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. And uh, remember, you can join us inside Patreon at patreon.com slash Kindled podcast. Okay, I will see you guys later. Bye.